Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we're going to talk all about the documentary William Shatter Presents Chaos on the Bridge. I'm your host, Clarence, and with me today, I have none other than my co-host slash Trekkie, starting with none other than Cal Jones. How you doing, man? You know what? This is 2024, our first episode, and as always, I'm glad to be here. And also on the podcast today, we, as always, we have Larry Irby. How you doing, man? Doing great. Happy New Year to everyone. And returning to Discussing Trek, we have Lee Shackelford. How are you doing, sir? Very well, indeed. Very well. I apologize for the crash that you may have just heard. Something fell over in my office, so maybe nobody heard that but me. Oh, I heard it, but it's okay. It's okay. We're going to let it ride. <laughs> just trying to keep it professional here. I thought you were throwing a lawyer out the window, maybe. I was... <laughs> I'm with David Gerald. If I'd been there, I'm not a... <laughs> actually, I I was there, but I had no idea. You didn't know about the chaos? <laughs> no. Wow. Yeah. yeah, we're going to get into all of that. And Lee maybe can give us some backstory a little bit later about what you did there yeah. on TNG. In the chat, we have Win Grace. Win Grace, thank you for joining. Appreciate you being here, sir. We're going to go ahead and get right into... William Shatter presents in, in big bold letters <laughs> chaos on the bridge, which is a 2014 documentary written, directed and co-produced and hosted by William Shatner. So that was very fascinating to me to start things off that he had such a heavy hand in it. But Kyle Jones, I think you have some beats for us before we get into the nuts and bolts of this one. Okay. My beats are really, really simple for this one, but because I, you know, and I don't want to wait till discussing who. I want to do it on discussing Trek. Can I do a spoiler warning? Uh, sure, go for it. So, for anyone <laughs> listening, if you have not seen this documentary, go to YouTube, watch it, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle station. This is the right. You cannot destroy an idea. Thank you, sir. I guess. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? But what I do know is beats of the episode, what I took away from it was lawyers are not members of the Writers Guild. Mm. Traditionally. Well, some are, but yeah. But traditionally. But he was not. But let's just go around the horn and get everybody's just high level opinion of this. It felt like pretty dense 60 minutes of, of documentary. Um, Larry, what did you think overall of Chaos on the Bridge? And this is your suggestion, actually. I didn't I didn't know about this until you brought it up. Did I bring it up? I think you did. I don't know if it was me. But, <laughs> but fine, I'll, you know, I'll take credit. Yeah. Well, I saw this many, many, many years ago when it first came out. And um, there was things that I did not know. Uh, I thought it was well done. I thought the the drawings and the animation really added a lot to it. Of course, I'm going to stick it up for my man. People say the Berman era, that's Berman and Peeler, the late, great Michael Peeler, who doesn't get enough love. But it was a, it was a really good documentary. Kyle, what are your high-level thoughts, man? High-level thoughts, I thought it was just off the top of my head. Interesting that the fact that the captain who was not in it was the captain who produced and narrated and told us the story, you know, with William Shatner. I thought that that was really, really interesting. I love pulling back a curtain. Anytime you pull back a curtain, that just fascinates me. 
So, you know, it could have been pull back the curtain of of anything, Voyager or whatever. I would have enjoyed it simply because I love pulling back the curtain. So um, I know we'll get into some other things, but it was very interesting. All right, Lee, what do you think, man? And also tell us how you might be closely involved to the shenanigans that were going on here. I was, uh, yeah, I was adjacent for some of this. Um, in the chat, when Grace is asking, wasn't it a lawyer and, uh, and the children shall eat? It was. That was famous attorney Melvin Belli, who had no business being in a TV show. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't explain why that's such a uh, difficult episode to watch. But anyway, yeah, back in the, the, you saw in the documentary some things about the writer's strike from 30-something years ago. And uh, one of the things that happened as a result of that was that um, TNG was suddenly back in production and seriously underbanked for scripts that they they had a commitment for another 23 episodes and nothing had been written in the years before. So that was a big problem. And they sent up a flare and suddenly dropped a lot of the uh, the, the 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 firewalls that keep. Uh, or the common rabble like me out. And uh, my agent, uh, <laughs> I came back from New York playing Sherlock Holmes in my own play off Broadway. And my phone was ringing and it was my agent asking me if I would like to go pitch for Star Trek The Next Generation. So that was a little whirlwind in my life. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that'll be okay. Let's do that. <laughs> so yeah, before I knew it, I was in that room with uh, with Ronald D. Moore, the kid Ron Moore. And uh, Larry Karen and David Carroll and um, Jerry Taylor and, and other people whose names I didn't get. And I would probably know now who they, who they were. But anyway, and I pitched and pitched and pitched ideas. And um, at one point, uh, oh, well, Brandon Braga was one of the people there. He told me later on that I had pitched more stories than anybody else. Oh, wow. Which I guess is something to be proud of. I mean, they were saying no to them all the time, but still... <laughs> So yeah, I mean, my uh, my writing partner at the time, we 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 had to think up basically a whole season, you know, just to go into the meeting and be ready of uh, stories for Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, I, I, my, I'll tell you my favorite story about the shortest pitch that I've ever done for anybody ever in my whole career, and uh, it was in uh, one of those meetings with Jerry Taylor. I she said, "Okay, what else you got?" I said, "Okay, more," <laughs> and she said, "No." <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, boy. moving on. <laughs> One word. No love. No. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious then to see him back later because they said we are through with lore. But apparently not. Anyway, but yeah, one of the things, once I got inside the heart building and saw that, um, you know, like any office building, there's a there's a directory out front. And I just looked at all the people's names I knew who were on the list on record. You know, here's, here's the corner office is Gene Roddenberry. I said, man, we're here. I, I just want to go in and, and meet the man. I just want to shake his hand. Start talking about people you've ever wanted to just go say thank you to. And I didn't know. But everybody I know, who, other people who were there and who really, you know, worked on the show in a more meaningful fashion than I did, they say, you did not want to go in and talk mm. to him at this time. You mm. you. You know, when they say never, never meet your heroes, you this really did Yeah. Yeah. You really would have been anyway, but I've had a chance to talk with uh, David Gerald about this, about this awful time. And, uh, this is, you know, even longer ago than this documentary, but 
And, and he was saying it, it was, he said, you know, we try to be respectful because, you know, he was the creator of the franchise that we all love. But he said, there was, that was ugly, ugly, mean, ugly. He mm-hmm. said, just toward the end, he was, he was not a, he was not a good man. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's too bad. Isn't it? I mean, yeah. But, it, but, and he says, but I, I did not hold it against him because I, I know the decline, you know, everybody can go into a decline as they get older, but that lawyer buddy of his. Oh my God. That was the peace villain as far as David Gerald was concerned. Yeah. I'd never heard of Sir Leonard there. Uh, it's kind of interesting, just this documentary as a whole, as it kind of, to me, it was almost less about Star Trek and more about J. Ron Berry. Um, yeah, Absolutely. There's an opportunity for for Shatner as the the writer and director of this piece. I hope you, you notice that in the credits. That means he can cant the way this is being cut together any way he wants, and he's writing you know narration that's stitching it together. He could have made this really salacious. He could have made this really you know you're not going to believe what an what an ass Gene Roddenberry turned out to be. You know, and he and he didn't do that, and I appreciate that. You know, if, if I could add something here, that that was what kind of impressed me about whenever I saw that this was William Shatner presents this story. Anybody can come back in after the fact, because, you know, you've heard stories about, mm-hmm. well, William Shatner's hard to work with. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to have their own spin. Somebody could come back in later and say, well, gosh, darn it. Kyle was so hard to work with, yeah. with discussing her. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anybody can come back in after right. the fact and re paint it like you said lee right but it does add a level of respect to treat it with as much fact and let facts make him look ill or good or positive or negative but just let the facts tell the story that's right i also really appreciated shatner's total poker face when um who was it? it was rick berman talking about casting um patrick stewart and about the fact that that Roddenberry was dead set against having a captain who is bald. <laughs> Cut back to Shatner going. Oh boy. Cause we haven't, haven't done that before. Have we? <laughs> no, not on camera anyway. So. <laughs> we'll admit he's one of two people that I didn't know was bald. And when I found out I was shook to the core. Yeah. Hey, wait, <laughs> William Shatner is bald. Come on hmm? now, cow. I did not know that. <laughs> Get out. I, I'm so sorry. I did not know that. Anyway. I'm not joking. Anyway, I promise you. I did but, not know that. But just, just as a piece of, 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 of start, as you say, sort of behind the curtains lore, what do you guys think about this as an hour? Does it, is it good for Star Trek to do this for an hour? Or I mean, what, what was your feeling coming away from it? I, do, do you feel kind of icky afterwards or do you? Well, um, I'll go first. I don't feel like I felt icky, but more so I felt that, man, it's really hard to make a television show. I, I hope that's the takeaway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and secondly, if you want to get a little deeper, a creator's handle on an IP, how how is it treated? How What's the legacy of that? How right. does it continue? How do you pass the baton? And even, you know, at the core, how do you reboot something that is now beloved? And we have various franchises going through the same thing right now. So, Larry, what about That's you, right. considering yeah. how uh, Trek had started and where it came? What, do, what did you think? I absolutely love this documentary. But I will tell you, um, somebody whose documentary, like uh, Lee said, Bill Shatner could have cut this 
any way he wanted to. He could have really went after Roddenberry. Well, I'm going to tell you what, Trek Nation is an amazing documentary done by his own son, Rod. Mm -hmm. And he does not hold back about Mm -hmm. his father's shortcomings, the affairs, the just how he treated Majel rather badly. Yeah. He treated a lot of people badly. And and he's sitting right there with uh DC Fontaine, God rest her soul. Yeah. Is right there. And she's saying, you know, she says, I didn't like the way he treated your mother, you mm. know? And um yeah. to mm. me, it it makes Gene Rodmary doesn't take away from the great things he did. It just cast him as a human being, flawed, mm. you know, a lot of people are full of flaws. They've done great things, but they're human mm. too. They do bad things. Mm. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys. I will answer your question, Clarence, real quick, which is it didn't tarnish the reputation of Star Trek for me or TNG for me. And if anything, it endeared me more to it because I have that knack of wanting to know more information and i love knowing the behind the scenes so for that it fed that innate thing that my brain needs that said i wonder if the things that roddenberry did uh, that were considered shortcomings was that his mind his ego his subconscious or whatever working out the quote unquote, bad things he did by by trying to create this utopian future that was so idealistic, maybe in part saying, let's be everything I'm not. And again, nothing to disparage of his character one way or the other. But I wonder if that played even in his subconscious anything in what he was doing. Maybe interesting. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely something that I think I struggle with, not just with Star Trek or just with creators and creations in general, whether it's music, movies, because somebody can make something so beautiful that can sound so beautiful. And then you have to reckon with if you if you go deep enough, you know, Mm -hmm. it's all over the news most of the time anyway. But you have to reckon with who that creator was and and how do you kind of parse all of that out you know i think it's something that all of us have to kind of look at these days but i like the beauty in what you said about how he's trying to maybe turn his shortcomings into something beautiful after the fact maybe we heard what maurice hurley thought about the uh utopian view of the future (laughs) he's uh, a mutt (laughs) and and it reminded me that what i have uh this is the uh this is the original or writer's director's guide this is what they they gave writers coming in the door nice. and uh, the um, and so this is on season three. And I, and I, and I learned later that several people, including David Gerald and, and Dorothy Fontana had, had been rewriting the writer's guide as they went along. And one of the things that they were toning down was the, um, this is a perfect world of the future. And I can imagine the fights with, with Gene about that, but what I wanted to, what I thought to, People like Kyle and me who always want to know more, you might appreciate. Ooh, I meant to put a bookmark in this so I wouldn't be on air fumbling for it. Uh, yeah, page one is called These Are the Voyages. Yeah, Here, here's here's the mandate for the writers. Number one, entertain. Isn't that lovely? Our series takes place at a time when humans can perform wonders 
and we want our audience to identify with the excitement of that. We'll travel to strange new worlds, visit new civilizations, use holodecks, transporters, intelligence machines. These lists goes the list goes on and on and on. Um, but uh, but to sum up, it says, and if you get stuck on the science, make it up. <laughs> the point is here to tell an engaging, exciting story, and if and don't get hung up on the science. I love that. But the the first version of the writer's guide I never saw, but I but I was told that that like on page one line when it said these people are better than you, mm. so that's a little daunting. We're, we're doing a family show here, right? My understanding is that it said they're just like you, only they have their act together. Only it didn't use the word act. <laughs> <laughs> that that I, I I didn't see that with my own eyes. But here's what it becomes by by season three. Our continuing characters are the kind of people that the Star Trek audience would like to be. Mm. They are not perfect, but their flaws do not include falsehood, petty jealousy, and the banal hypocrisies common in the 20th century. They share a feeling of being a part of a band of brothers and sisters. And as in the original series, we invite the audience to share in that same feeling. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, think, that's, uh, I don't, I don't think that's writing the characters into a corner. You know? Yeah. Also, I'll say, I don't, I don't think I knew how much in this documentary tries to point it out, how much a prolific writer Gene Roddenberry was. Yeah. I mean, I I was impressed by, you know, taking a script and being able to rewrite it for two hours, add a character and do that in a few days. It's kind of amazing. So I, I had no idea. Yeah. He really was. He was a machine. And, you know, he started writing in the golden age of radio. I cannot remember what the show was now, but I, but I, I heard, um, I was just listening to one of the, those great radio shows. Cause you know, I'm, I'm a big fan and I was just thinking that was a lovely little moral fable in a half an hour. You know, that was, that was great that they were able to really make a point there. And then the announcer said, um, two things that are amazing. It said, um, the, um, you know, the, you just heard this episode, you know, starring so-and-so and so script by Gene Roddenberry wow. music by Alexander courage. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, coincidence or meeting of minds or what? That's interesting. Like, I want to work with you again. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was, that would have been in the late 50s. Wow. But, but you, yeah, you know, he, he was, they mentioned in the documentary, he was a World War II combat pilot. But somebody who, when he creates his series, he wants somebody from Japan steering the ship. Mm. And I've always thought that says, that probably says a lot about him right there. I think it's really cool that you met a lot of these names. Like you said, Roger D. Moore. Love yeah. that man. Yeah. Love him. <laughs> the man, to me, he is another driving force that doesn't get, he and Stephen Ira, Stephen Bayer, that doesn't get talked about. Because Ronald D. Moore committed an atrocity. He was <laughs> going to bring back my Battlestar Galactica. Right. And it was going to be horrible. Yeah. horrible they're going to have women as different characters <laughs> they're going to change it but here's what happens when you keep an open mind and you look at things yeah one of the best shows of all time to me he yeah. did it and i love the original and still do and i adore what he did so the writing that he and michael and ira and a lot of them did on this show i mean it still reverberates now, right over thirty, almost forty years. Are we at forty years yet? 
not 40 mm, yet. 80, but we're 80, 87, 87, 87, 87, yeah, yeah. close. We're getting there. Yeah. And I mean, still to this day, I mean, these guys, and it is funny to me to hear that I'm just going to say that it was a shit show mm-hmm. yeah. behind the scenes and they were able to turn this out. Right. Yeah. Well, they they right. speak about how season one and two are not considered the greatest, I guess. But what did you guys think of the shift in, they speak in the documentary of shift from uh, focusing on story to focusing more on characters. Mm-hmm. To me, that's something that <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that exactly. I feel like there's a balance because I feel like maybe on some shows they focus a little bit too much on character. Mm. But 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 did they address that a lot when you were there, Lee? Was that kind of the mandate or was that even mentioned? That that pivot had happened. And like some of the notes that would go out would say, this season we'd like to do this kind of story. We want to do a story about freedom of speech. Go with it, you know, mm. or something like that. But but one note that I remember was we really want a data story. Mm. Yeah. And I just like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and the one that I that I always remember because my partner and I we we really responded to it was uh we want a story where somebody lives a whole lifetime in the course of a day. Wow. And <laughs> we had what I thought was a really solid idea about how to do that, but it was going to be data. Mm. From like but, his memory. Yeah. Well, it's just like we, we, we thought he's the one who could just have, you know, the positronic brain going in overtime. We just thought that was sort of the, the shortcut there, right? He's the, he's the character from who you could do that. Mm. Wow. But we had him, he, we had him grow old and, you know, have a family and, <laughs> and, and die. That would never happen. Yeah, that'll never happen, right? But, um, but man, you know, so obviously our pitch was not the one that that they flew with. But man, am I glad with the one? <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. It's pretty close, though. Yeah, well, there there are similarities, yeah. But you know, the interesting thing that I found just in the shift, I'm going to go ahead and ask my question before I forget it because I want to ask this of you guys after I finish which is when you go back and you think of the episodes that you watch of TNG, if you just were to go back and watch, are they in season one and two? Are they in seasons mm. three, four, five, six, yeah. and seven? I'm curious to know after I say what I'm about mm. to say next. But I find it interesting that in the 2020s, that in the last couple of years, we've had conversations about, oh, well, we really kind of would rather have a more episodic type show as opposed to a character character that we've seen in discovery and other things. So it's, it's, and I think Clarence, I think it's what you said a minute ago, which is it's that happy medium between episodic and character driven. And I think strange new worlds has, you know, effortlessly and purposely balanced that really, 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 really well. But I'm curious, back to my question, though, is what do you guys go back and watch? Are they in seasons one and two? Are they in the later season? For me, I I watch all of Next Generation because I will tell you this. The early seasons, while we can look back and say they may have had problems, they were good. They were good enough to keep the show afloat. Mm -hmm. They were engaging. I mean, yeah, it's easy to Mm -hmm. look back now and try to pick the yes season two finale was just a bunch of cut scenes 
from other stuff. (laughs) I get it. But when they hit season three, that's when they hit their stride. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, I can go back right now and watch Encounter at Farpoint and I can and, and I can still feel like I was at that time I was 19 years old yeah. and it still gets me kind of giddy. Yeah. Lee, I have a question for you. If you cuz I know you are a big fan of the original series, so not putting you on the spot for the original series, but had this been Star Trek 2, meaning yeah. You did have Kirk. You did have Spock. You did have McCoy. You did have, this is the continuing story of Mm. Star Trek, you know, their second five-year mission or whatever you want to call it. Do you think we would have still had the franchise Star Trek now as we know it? Or do you think it would have, people would have just said, oh, well, been there, done that, and might have withered on the vine? Well, that's that's a tough question because... um, you, you know, just think of the chronology. We did have the original cast movies going on yeah. Yeah. at this same time. So in a way, we were having it both ways. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, what a time. <laughs> yeah. But I think a lot of people felt that the uh, the original series characters, they could start to, start to finally feel them getting long in the tooth. Yeah. And um, I, um, yeah, I, and Star Trek V, I think, finished it off for a lot of people. They just threw up their hands and said, okay. <laughs> you know, William Shatner, I actually saw him live. I actually got to meet him. And I remember him on stage tell, talking about, you know, how you start out, and Lee probably knows this, you start out with this. Yeah. And then it gets whittled down to, well, I want this, this, and this, and this. Yeah, this is what we can give you. Mm-hmm. Well, I want all these special effects. Well, yeah, you don't have the budget for that. Right. Well, I want this, and this will be really cool. Yeah, you don't have the budget for that either. Mm-hmm. Well, what do we have the budget for? Right. He said they gave him, he wanted these people to become giant rock monsters mm-hmm. or whatever. And he thought that would be cool to engage the crew. He said they had a guy come out in a suit. It looked terrible. <laughs> and the, he's like, okay, just forget it. And yeah. they did a rewrite in three days to what we got. Yeah. And it, it is, and he's right, of course, that that always happens, you know, no matter, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter what the production is. There are compromises. But my problem with five is that the, the problems are on paper. And what I tell my students and everybody else is solve your problems on paper. Paper's cheap, yeah. you know. Go go to, go to the set with the best script that you can, and th- then we can start making compromises. But don't compromise on story, plot, and characters. And uh, five kind of does, and so it's you know, I, I feel like it's doomed from the beginning. But I I don't know anyway. But I, I know there are people who really love that movie, and I and more power to them. And I, and I like it. Star point- Trek Six is still. In the offing, you know, it's still possible. <laughs> but five, I will say, I I love the thing of being bringing Cybok out, which I love the fact that we revisited that on Strange New Worlds because mm-hmm. I think what's the his name was Lawrence Bucknell. Am I right? Uh, was Cybok? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He turned in a phenomenal performance. I liked him. He's great. Yeah. And but the thing that got me 
And this goes back to the, the documentary about rewriting stuff is it was cool to have a Vulcan with emotion. Mm-hmm. And apparently that wasn't in this documentary, but in one of the other documentaries, Gene Roddenberry talked about having, I think I, not, he talked about it or he brought it up or either um, Dorothy brought it up about having a group of Vulcans who didn't subscribe mm-hmm. to logic. Yeah. Yeah. Steinbach's laugh is one of, is the, to me, the icon of, of Star Trek five. That's what I always remember when I think about that film, <laughs> I think about what's going on here. <laughs> Yeah, I want to go back to writing for just a second here. 30 writers turned over in the first season. That is nuts. And then there was also this concept brought up, which I had never heard of. Jumping credit and script arbitration. You know, Mm -hmm. me not really being in that sphere. Never heard of those terms before. But, you know, Gene just took a script and doctored it up, put his name on it. (laughs) And and Dorothy made a point of, of mentioning the story well, I think David Gerald did too, about um, Gene insisting that he write 30 minutes of this now two-hour, the, the two-parter encounter at Farpoint. That's not an accident. Uh, once you've written a certain percentage of the script, by by union rules, your name has got to go on it. Mm. So, and that's incidentally why my name isn't on uh, Ship in a Bottle which I pitched and, you know, that's, that's what they bought. But by the time it had gone up the ladder and everybody had written on it there, I don't know if there's a, a single word of my, of my script left in it, you know? So I don't even get a story, but I don't have any credit on it at all. Mm. But that was, that was my, that was my episode, you know, to start with. But based on the quote unquote rules and guidelines, it could have been your, if I'm hearing you right, it could have been your idea. You could have said, we're going from point A to point B and they could have gone from point A to point B, but your words weren't right. there. Right. Mm. That's right. It, it literally comes down to, to being able to count words. And it's, um, you could say it's a, it's a vicious and unfair system, but I, nobody's ever thought of a better one. And, and, and I always want to say, if I, when I bring this up, when, when anybody's talking about this, Rene Echevarria was the head writer that that season, season of Ship in a Bottle, and and he's the one who had the final pass. And so his name, his his name is the only credit on Ship in a Bottle. And I say more power to him because everything that he did in that that script, I think, is brilliant. They did not, mm. especially, they did not use my ending, which I am now embarrassed by. But the way he ended it, <laughs> I think, is a freaking genius. So. Um, Anyway, that's my story about ship in a bottle, but, but yeah, I do still like to say, like, you know, I, I, I got, I got Moriarty out of the holodeck. I have a question. So they don't have to, um, they didn't have to compensate you in any way. I mean, uh, only if, only if what survives is a sufficiently large part of what I wrote, I, I was expecting story by credit because I expected it to be massively rewritten, but. But by the time we got to that point, it wasn't even really the story that I'd started out with. That's wow. what greenlit it. That's what got it all going. Mm. But, and, and, you know, and I, and I spent some time saying, poor me, and, and they're a bunch of thieves and pirates. But this is just how it works. And, it, and again, it's not, it's, it can be mean and it can be cruel, but it's also nobody's thought of a better way. Yeah, well, it, that's the common practice still? or yeah. Yeah, that's that's how it works. If you have a room full of writers, somebody says, "Hey, I've got a great idea," and everybody says, "Great," 
Uh, then you point to somebody else and say, you write a first draft of it. Well, if their first draft varies, veers very far from what was just pitched in the room, then that person who brought it up, they're now out of the equation. But speaking of pitches and shameless hmm. plug here, just because yeah. I want to, that experience right there helps shape the writer you would become who would then be today, years and years later, writing scripts for a soon-to-be ITV series called A Train Near Mandenberg. That's right. You know, and, and you and can find out more information. Uh... Yes, and multiple <laughs> award-winning uh, relativity, you know, right. at relativitypodcast.com. And it's, uh, a tra- what is the website for A Train Near Mandenberg? MagdebergTrain.com. That only works if you know how to spell Magdeburg, but yeah. Look for it. But but yeah, it, it's true. Um, everybody's got horror stories of their childhood, uh, of their of their young writerhood, except I I think uh, David Gerald, who who is still, you know, he's a, he's 80 years old. Mm. I mean, I had to do the math, but we're talking about how long ago the original series was. I mean, he was a kid. He was right out of college when he wrote to Trouble with Tribbles. And he's kind of been dying an element ever since. But even today, he looks back and he says, that was such a fluke. So many people, you know, come around with a script in their hand and they just get it taken away from them and they get beaten up. And he said, I was famous overnight, mm-hmm. you know, and I wrote this episode that turned out to be so popular. And then suddenly everybody, you know, wanted to shake my hand. And Ron Moore did exactly the same thing. He came around there without an agent with a script in his hand. And he said, Hey guys, uh, anybody want to see this? And he was there at the right time. And yeah, and not too much later, uh, as you say, Larry, he's he's saying now that I've seen how you take an old TV series and make it uh, make it newer and better, I think I could do it. I'm going to go over to Universal and pitch this. <laughs> you know, those guys like Brandon Braga, mm-hmm. the show he created after Enterprise was Threshold with Brett Spiner and the futurely famous Peter Dinklage. And Gina, um, I always butcher her last name, but we all know who she is from, you know, the the son-in-law and, Uh you know, she was in the movie with Dwayne Johnson. But anyway, that was a phenomenal show. It only lasted one season, but damn it, these (laughs) people on this show have proven beyond Star Trek, the next generation and Star Trek, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, getting back to the title of this 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 doc, chaos, chaos. Um, I would never have imagined uh, the conflict between the person who imagined all the Gene Roddenberry, the rest of the writers, the network, the syndicators. It's just everywhere is pulling, pulling for resources, pulling for writers, pulling for control. It's it's just a madhouse. A madhouse. And then you get to the, you know, the actual actors, you know, casting of the actors. It just all continued. So, yeah, just just never would have imagined there'd be so much trouble and tribulation <laughs> on a show like this. It's, it's really phenomenal that they got, like you said, Larry, earlier, that they got anything made. Right. Especially so many, uh, you know, Emmy winning hours of, of great TV. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. What, what do you all think about the uh, the country music in this documentary? I thought that that was intentionally done, considering that Roddenberry originally wanted this to be like a space western. I thought that was just a mm. behind the scenes little jab at that. And was I right there? I 
I thought they were just trying to make it lighthearted. But then again, yeah, I, but, I, I but, but, it's just to make this funny. And, and yeah, didn't, it, but, but didn't Shatner also make a country music album? He has. Yeah. He, he's he's <laughs> so, recorded across the spectrum. Yeah. But I just got the feeling it's sort of like they, they were sort of suggesting that behind the scenes, TNG was the Dukes of Hazard, you know? Um, <laughs> and I don't know. I, I, I thought it was funny. I, I, I'm like Larry. I, I think this would be a completely different documentary without those drawings and animation. Because some of the funniest just sort of sight gags are just, you know. But, you know, if you think of any television show that's really, really popular as the years go by, and I'm not lessening what we're talking about. Obviously, we're sitting here talking about it. But I'm sitting here thinking of like Three's Company and all the the back drama that was in Three's Company from the Ropers leaving till, you know, Mr. Farley, the, you know, the actors mm-hmm. and then they getting their spinoff and not being able to come back. And then Suzanne yeah. Summers, blah, 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 blah then Dallas, and then Designing Women, you know, all these different TV shows that there's backstage drama, and then there's this great television that is the result of that. So my point is, anytime you get a bunch of human beings in a room together, there's going to be drama behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. And in this case, it was just more so. It was just... Yeah, the usual, just raised to a certain power. Yeah, I was I was gonna say, you know, something unique, and Lee probably knows more, but certainly more than I do. But but don't you think Next Generation changed the shape of like after Next Generation, you not even counting Star Trek shows, you saw a ton of TV shows right in the syndication mm-hmm. back yeah. then. I can think oh, of right. You know, the Hercules and Mm -hmm. the Xenas, and that was even later. But you started seeing a lot of shows going directly into syndication, which was unusual. If they can do it, we can do it, too. Yeah, this proved that it was possible. I think if you watch this documentary, you say anybody who was there would say, no, don't try this. (laughs) (laughs) This This is so treacherous. But, you know. Then another Star Trek show, they would say, let's launch an entirely new syndication system. Let's launch a whole new <laughs> network and put it on the back of Voyager. Okay, go. Mm. I, you know. <laughs> Terrible. So that, that's almost like the ultimate. But yeah, it's amazing that that worked. Amazing. And they did it twice. And they did it twice. Because was it Enterprise? Yeah. Was the same situation? Well, well, let me say this in regards to TNG. I, and I know this is blasphemy, so any Star Trek fans out there listening to to this, please forgive me. I was not a fan of T, I mean, the original series as a small kid. You know, I was uh, four years old, three years, four years old going to see Star Wars, and it was Star Wars. That was my thing, Star Wars. And then here came along the next generation that wasn't these 1960s TV shows that I didn't really have an affinity for, but something I could latch on to that was current, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. current production, new. This was not them, but yet it was, you know what I'm saying? So I don't think I would have been a Star Trek fan like I am today had there not been the next generation. Mm -hmm. Sure. They made it work. Let's take an older show. Let's update it for a new generation. And you know, I mentioned it up top, but we've seen many times where this has not worked. <laughs> you know? Oh my God, right. it's not working right now. 
for a bunch of shows. Yeah. That they're just yeah. they're just kind of as the old saying, they're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. And right, right now, retro is the thing. Let me pick up a quick comment here from Win Grace. Uh in the comment to season one episodes Cal made earlier, Win Grace is saying maybe the battle, the binary episode, data lore, and the big goodbye. I really liked Armus as a kid. But Skin of Evil isn't actually a great episode, though. Okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, there's some there's some gems in there, despite everything we've been saying. Really quick, Marge says "Shipping a Bottle" is a great episode, and also TNG is my comfort. Yeah, yeah, guys. And with that, we'll go ahead and begin to wrap this up. Any closing thoughts from anybody? If not, go ahead and give a shout out to whatever you might be working on that you'd like to plug right quick. All right. Well, I do have two closing things that I wanted to before you do the wrap up. Uh, just hearing uh, uh, Patrick Stewart tell the, the weatherman story was just hilarious with him talking about <laughs> I walked in and then I walked out and said, bleep, that that that, that was cool. And I found it interesting that D.C. Fontana, I did not know or did not remember that this writer was female. And I'm curious if that was done in intention at the time it was absolutely yeah it was i have a book on her and that was why she went with dc DC. instead Mm -hmm. of dorothy at that there's a lot of female novelists did as well yes yes and and let me mention real quick such a travesty to what they did to the the classic writers that came aboard that to try to foster on this new star trek they just kind of crapped on them it was really tragic and, and uh, unfortunately, that seems to have been a tradition of Gene's. So he just mm. brought that over from the original series. I, I, I got to work with uh, George Clayton Johnson, who, you know, Logan's Run and, you know, a million other things, uh, Ocean's Eleven. And, um, I, and I, I wanted to talk with him about the fact that he wrote the first aired episode of Star Trek. You know, he wrote The Man Trap. And um, that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> Because Uh-oh. he's, I mean, he's passed now, but he, 60 years later or whatever, he's still mad. Mm. Because his script was, yeah. Anyway, but he says, you know, Roddenberry got a hold of it. And, you know, by the time it's over, it's, you know, it's nothing like what I, but it's got my name on it. You know, whatever <laughs> went out there, it was all Gene Roddenberry, but it says George Clayton Johnson on it. He got that. Well, at least he got that. He did, and he got paid. And, you know, a, a lot of people would say, well, what are you complaining about? But, you know, he <laughs> he wanted them to do his episode. And Carlin Ellison's written a whole book about that. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> you guys maybe think about in the in the documentary where I think it was Maurice Hurley. He he wrote an episode and Gene Roddenberry was mad at him. You do not know how to use deflectors or something, he said. Yeah, you don't know a shield from a deflector. Like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I will stick with that for the rest of my life. That I don't think people get plot what plot device you know what they are kyle clarence you know what they are and lee certainly knows more than any of us about that where people go hey how does the ship stop and take off and everybody doesn't splatter inertial dampeners inertial dampers yeah we all but know that how do they work inertial dampeners <laughs> but what do they do inertial dampeners that's right. all we need and, to and, say and, and what does the um lee what does it say in the writer's guide about that forget well, the sign like i said don't just try, tell an entertaining story and um, i have an example in here one of the early scripts and i can't remember which one it is they mention in the hall there is a metal called selignium 
And when you see it in print, it is literally the word meaningless spelled backwards. (laughs) (laughs) It's selenium. Yep. Uh, yeah, I was just reminded you were talking about things like that, that the, this, they gave us the whole technical manual, too, because you don't want to go into the presence of the producers not knowing the difference between shields and deflectors, right? And uh, one of my favorite things to look back on this now, because it seems kind of sweet, was that uh, they mentioned that the Enterprise's computers, this is 400 years from now, of course, so we're no longer measuring storage space in gigabytes. The Enterprise computers measure their memory in terabytes. <gasps> Ooh, oh, we'll never touch that. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs> that. I mean, good Lord, I've got a three terabyte sitting right here by me exactly. right now. And <laughs> you, my friend, are the proof <laughs> that time travel exists. You You're go. from the future. Aim <laughs> mm. <Same> high, guys. <laughs> Lee, anything you want to plug a last shout out before we get out of here? Oh, Kyle's already done my, uh, my baseline plug, but, uh, I did want to mention that I think my favorite thing in this documentary is that is a uh, Shatner barefaced <laughs> pretending like he didn't cut up and clown around on the set of. Oh yeah. Right. And, Whatever and, do you mean? And John Frakes calling him out on it. I just, oh, I just he had some of the best bloopers. <laughs> I don't know what he was like. And I know they said he was a pain, but Shatner had the best bloopers. Yeah. He was hysterical. He was, he was a clown. And yeah, Leonard Nimoy, yeah, I mean, he says in his, his, his last book, he says, sometimes I just couldn't stand it anymore. I just wanted to get the work done. And Bill, we just wanted to clown around and joke. And I'm like, can we just get the shot, please? Mm. You know, I just, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Patrick Stewart, the classically trained actor from overseas. <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah. These goofballs. Is this how you do it here? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and he's accustomed to things like the the way they, they shot Doctor Who back in the day is that we're going to do it all. And we've got two cameras and we're shooting it all, you know, as if it was live. And there is no time to fool around. Get you it just, done. Get it done. You get in there, say your lines and get out of the way. And yeah, he must have thought, yeah, he, <laughs> I don't know. Cow, did you plug, sir? Sure. Um, If you are a Doctor Who fan, you can also check us out at DiscussingWho.com. And if you're listening to this and you are a fan of sci-fi, you can check Lee and I out on Oz9 at OZ-9.com. All righty. And I will say thanks to each and every one of you guys for being here. I was thoroughly entertained. I don't know about you guys. I just (laughs) sat back and I, I, I was just, you know, let it rain over me. The knowledge is really good. And, you know, overall, really enjoyed this documentary. So maybe we can find another one sometime in the future to talk about. Because this one's just very informative. Some stuff I really did not know about Gene Roddenberry. And with that, guys, uh, thanks to everyone in the chat. And we'll end it right here. Until next time, live long and prosper. listening to the discussing trek podcast for more information go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe
You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. Can I say that like shut up Wesley? I can just go shut up Clarence? <laughs>